Welcome to Future CIOs, the very best CIOs in Asia in 2020 series, where we speak to some of the region's most successful chief information officers to uncover what makes them tick, including challenges they face in the course of their illustrious career, achievements they are most proud of, challenges as well as learnings, and sage advice they would like to impart for future generations of chief information officers. In this episode, we spoke to Vikram Subramanyam, Managing Director and Asia-Pacific Chief Information Officer for City. Here is Vikram on the topic of change as the new normal. Could you describe Asia-Pacific then in terms of the IT team? And If you look at our businesses across Asia-Pacific, uh, depending on uh, how you count the jurisdictions, uh, we're in uh, 15 countries. You would expect all of the major countries. There are a few countries in Southeast Asia, like Laos, Cambodia, but we are otherwise substantially from China at one end to Australia, to the Southeast Asia countries, to India at the other end. That's broadly our Asia-Pacific expanse. The IT team that we have, we have country-based technology team, but in addition, we have relatively large service centers here in Asia, and we've got a number of resources in Asia in uh, the technology team. Plus, we do a fair amount of work using third parties, and a number of those third parties support us globally and are based in Asia, service providers. What sort of applications are under, under your responsibility or the responsibility of the IT team? Everything related to technology comes under my team. It's not only the application end of things, but it is also the infrastructure, including the data centers, including the network, including sort of desktop infrastructure and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. As far as the applications are concerned, like any global organization, we leverage a number of global platforms, some of them of uh, which have local instances here in Asia, as well as we uh, leverage a number of applications that have been built out locally for markets in Asia, as well as across the region. These are various types. Uh, they range from, say, for example, mainframe type applications to uh, distributed applications, client server architecture, and Internal cloud. At this point in time, we haven't really moved to the external cloud, public cloud, but predominantly internal cloud-based applications that we've got. You have a technical background, but you started your career at Citi's uh, credit card operations in India. What attracted you to move to operations and technology so early on in your career? I joined Citi as a management associate in India. That is a program that is called our analyst program now. At that time, most of us who joined as management associates had to do a stint in operations and technology. And then after that, you could move to different parts of the organization. Following my initial stints in operations and technology, I went on to do roles in sales and in customer service and product management. But I eventually decided that I would like to return back to operations and technology, which is an area that I felt that I would be comfortable in, that I would enjoy. My decision to focus my career on operations and technology was based on a few things I learned about myself 
early on in my career. The first was working with groups of people. I found that I enjoyed working with groups of people, managing teams, being able to motivate them. And ONT offered me the opportunity to work closely with many different teams, not only in India, but across cities global network. Second one is that I had a relatively good understanding of technology and the role I could potentially play in bringing a focus on technology into operations to transform our operations by eliminating manual processes, increasing efficiency, reducing risk and enhancing client experience. So if you think about it, it was really, while I had a degree in information technology, it was more about the application of technology to operations rather than, say, for example, building out technologies. I felt very comfortable in that space. The third thing that I learned about myself was my ability to understand operational risk and to quickly grasp what the potential pitfalls might be in various roles. My ability to proactively address some of the risks inherent in operations as a result of the knowledge that I learned meant that I found myself being able to think forward a few steps in terms of what problems we could encounter. Combined with my focus on technology, that seemed to bring together a nice understanding. Looking at these three different aspects, I figured that roles in ONT would play to my strength and therefore would allow me to add value to the organization, whether it was in managing and leading large teams, understanding and rolling out technology solutions, and mitigating the whole operational risk. And that's something that I've always asked myself, what value can I bring to the organization? So that obviously needs to be balanced with what I would like to do. So whenever I've looked at roles, it's really been about what value can I bring to that role? Plus, is it something that I would enjoy doing? And if you get that mix right, then like me, you'll end up being in an organization which provides you more and more opportunity. And therefore, the need to look outside diminishes when you're getting lots of opportunity and lots of exciting roles internally. If you look at both of them, what are the benefits of having those two sometimes opposing responsibilities, right? And and if you can single out any single piece of frustration, what's interesting and what's frustrating on both sides? There's benefits of having them on both sides, the most important of which is the ability to identify both challenges and opportunities from a 360-degree perspective, having a view from all angles. It makes you a much better person when you're doing these varied roles. When working with technology, it offers me the opportunity to introduce innovations to change the way that we work. When working with operations, it allows me to understand how technology can be used to speed up our workflow processes and deliver solutions to the business. I think together the insight and know-how from both sides have allowed me to better anticipate and address any potential obstacles, especially when managing large-scale technology transformation projects, both from the user and business perspective. Because very often in large-scale technology projects, what happens, Alan, is that there's a desire to roll out technology, but we don't spend enough time understanding how we can enhance the process as a result of these new platforms. So having seen it from both sides makes 
me feel much more comfortable about achieving that balance. Yeah. Uh, with regard to the second part of your question, I don't really think, uh, see things from a frustration perspective, but from an opportunity lens. It sometimes seems to us in operations that the external techno uh, technology environment seems to evolve faster than we are able to do ourselves. On the other hand, I think wearing my technology hat, I'm acutely aware that technologists would like operations to be more agile when laying out the business art, uh, just in terms of being able to be more precise about what they want and so on and so forth. I don't think these are competing, but they are complementary because both sides are trying to achieve what they would like to get done to be able to serve our customers better and deliver value to our product partners. How much independence do you have over the things that you roll out or operationally from a technology point of view? That is a very good question, and that's something that we think about, I would say, every day. As a global bank, we must strive for consistency across our technology platforms and operations to the extent possible. Having said that, we are in 98 countries globally, and so when it comes to delivering solutions and services, I like to think that we think global but act local in each of the markets that we serve. If you take an example, take the processing of payments, the standards may be similar across the globe. But when it comes to the last mile, in each of the markets that we operate in, there are local regulatory requirements, reporting standards that are unique to each market. There are also other considerations such as local competition and consumer preference that you cannot avoid if you want to be relevant in that market. So I don't think it's about the independence because your question was how much independence mm -hmm. I have. It is about finding the right balance to leverage the best of the global scale that we have while providing the requisite flexibility at the country level to be effective and to compete effectively on initiatives and projects that will deliver the best experience or services to our clients. With regard to the question about adoption of global standards, I don't think we mandate any global standards without a thorough discussion on the needs of the business. There's inevitably a need for some level of flexibility and customization at the country or regional level in order to tailor our products to the needs of the local business or client preference. What would you say is your proudest achievement since taking over both the operation and technology leadership? I would say my proudest achievement at City to date would be the successes around our talent program and the diversity efforts that my team and I have collectively achieved. I'm very passionate about promoting gender equality in the workplace as I strongly believe that having a leadership team and employee base that reflects the same diversity of the communities that we operate in will translate into more engaged employees and result in better business performance. Operations and technology, especially here in Asia-Pacific, has traditionally been relatively male-dominated environment and even more so in the technology space. But as a result of targeted initiatives ranging from recruitment, retention, to, to promotion of women, we've ensured a fair gender representation in the function, which stands at 49% for women across Asia as of last year. We may not be at 50% yet, but we're getting there. While we're at 49%, I also recognize that we need to do a lot more from a leadership perspective. We've done a fair amount, and I just wanted to take you through some of the diversity initiatives that we've been working on. We run a global program called Prometheus that is all about 
female talent development, especially in technology. Closer to home in India, one of our biggest achievements has been in advancing gender diversity, the launch of Second Careers, a returning women program that we launched in India in 2018. We in Asia have had now for 15 years something called the ONT Leadership Development Program, fairly selective program where we identify a small group of people and give them the opportunity to move through accelerated roles in multiple markets and something that has been very successful in helping us develop our talent. In uh, 2018, I sponsored the Asia-Pacific Diversity Toolkit for City. Working with the country and regional talent and diversity lead, our objective was to create a one-stop shop, uh, a toolkit for comprehensive support to the recruitment teams in promoting city as an employer choice to women. So that's something that I've been fairly proud of. Uh, so if you look at it, it's really about talent and really about gender diversity. So those are the two things that I think I feel proudest about in the time that I've been in these leadership positions. Technology is accelerating, right? So we got fintechs on the one hand that are changing the, the competitive landscape, but at the same time, on the other hand, you've got regulation that to some degree is catching up. Now, how do you manage all of these disruptions, if you would like to call them, and still drive city forward? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, bringing finance and technology together has been something that city has been doing for a fairly long period of time, if you think about our ATMs, which were rolled out in the late 70s in New York and then across the U.S., leading to the catchphrase, City Never Sleeps, which you may have heard at some point in time. Since then, I think we've continued to strive to be at the uh, forefront of the finance and technology interface. And now, of course, we've got this entire community of fintech that have developed over time. I think today it's important to understand that fintechs and banks bring their own strengths and advantages to the table. The fintechs bring agility, a sharp focus on their offering, a disruptor's mindset, while banks have the scale, brand, balance sheet, and the breadth of clients. It's quite hard for most fintechs to easily build the secure and scalable infrastructure that large banks have built. And I don't think any single bank can consistently produce the latest digital experiences that will be better than the best emerging out of the fintech ecosystem. Really, I think, in my view, the strengths of the fintechs and the banks are complementary to one another, and we'd like to be part of this ecosystem, which then brings us to the concept of a level playing field that encourages innovation. Now, I'm based here in Singapore, so I know the Singapore market reasonably well. And Singapore is a great example to showcase successful collaboration within the fintech ecosystem. As a result of the Singapore government's efforts in implementing many initiatives over the years to spur innovation and create a safe environment where both established banks as well as fintechs can experiment with new technology. At the end of the day, our strength lies in our ability to attract, engage with, and serve our clients in a compelling and efficient way, which will provide our clients with best-in-class 
experiences. And to deliver this, we must recognize that we should be open to partnering with fintech to harness the potential of the new technologies, like I mentioned, in order to deliver those better experiences. I think this will benefit city, but this will benefit the industry and the community as a whole, providing much better solutions in a far faster way. And that's really how I see the coming together of the traditional banking system and the fintech. Now, COVID has forced banks to operate differently, right? As head of IT and operations, what is distinctive about this disruption to business compared to others? So, I think the one thing, Alan, that COVID has taught many of us is that in the past, many roles were seen as not amenable to working from home. But what has happened is that over the last six months or so, in part due to the rapid evolution of technology and improved infrastructure, the vast majority of roles can now really be done remotely. The bottom line here is that we have over 85 to 90 percent of our colleagues working remotely. Now, obviously, it varies by market because countries are at very different stages in this entire cycle. And we do have some markets where people did not really go 100% work from home. But I think we have really been able to be very, very effective to this entire crisis. When we plan our return to work strategy, as and when that happens, and we've been doing a little bit now in some countries, it's very much focused on the health and safety of our colleagues. And we are really looking at what the data says to us. So we're not focused on, I must come into the office by such and such date. It's more about what is the data saying to us. And as you will have seen in Hong Kong, it happened in March and then happened more recently. We have been very flexible about the ability to get people into the office, but also move rapidly to move people back to work from home if required, based on what we're seeing in the data as well as direction from government. I think we're evolving, learning, adapting. But what I can say is that I'm very proud of the flexibility that we've delivered here to the franchise in Asia. I've been leading the effort here in Asia, our COVID response. And so just across the organization, working collaboratively with teams all across the region and leveraging some of our global expertise, I think we've been very very effective in supporting the people and very effective in supporting our businesses. Pandemics actually have been a part of our business continuity planning for over 10 years. But I think unlike MERS, SARS and Ebola, the scale and speed of transmission of COVID-19 has created much more challenges than past pandemics. Having said that, I think we are very comfortable with where we are today. Our recovery plans held up with minimal disruption to our operations and servicing of clients. And actually, it's shown us in quite a few different ways. It's shown us that we have a lot more resilience and a lot more adaptability than we ourselves thought possible. We've adapted to a new way of communicating, of doing business digitally. And in return, our clients have also adapted, moving a lot more of their work to digital. Just as an example, We've seen a substantial increase in the percentage of financially active retail clients using us digitally. And digital transformation and adoption will continue to drive our future, I think, certainly in the banking industry. I think the the important thing is to make sure that whatever we've learned through this pandemic, we hold on to the best of that and we are able to continue to serve our clients, whatever we see on the other side of this. What remains your biggest challenge then in the years ahead? I think the 
first one will always be for us cybersecurity. As we move more and more of financial services digitally, cybersecurity will remain an important aspect of what we plan for and protect for. Our clients trust us to protect their assets and data, and we have to continue to work with our partners globally to ensure that we adopt the best tools to protect ourselves as well as our clients. The second is change, and frankly, change is the new normal. There's a quote from Bill Gates that I often think of when I think about change, which is that we always overestimate the change that will occur in the next two years and underestimate the change that will occur in the next 10 years. Don't let yourself be lulled into inaction. So that's something that I always keep at the back of my mind. But it's hard to identify when change is going to happen and know the scale of change. COVID-19, for example, is a great example to prove that change can take place at extraordinary speed and we must deal with that. In order to successfully navigate and guide their teams through this kind of uncertainty, leaders will need to be agile, adaptable, resilient, empathetic, and learn how to fail fast so as to emerge stronger than ever. I think this is equally true for operations and technology leaders, as well as leaders in every aspect of not only business, but even in our community. What would you advise aspiring CIOs to help them in their career to become the next generation of CIOs? What I would say is that there are probably a couple of things that will be different from the way that we grew up, if I can put it that way. I think getting as much experience under your belt in the early stages of your career, even outside of the technology space. A good understanding of your business partners, drivers, and me. A good understanding of motivating people and leading people. A good understanding of how technology can help drive solutions for organizations. And I mentioned, if you remember in the change piece, I mentioned empathy. Mm -hmm. I think having empathy at many different levels, being able to put yourself in your client's shoes, being able to put yourself in your employee's shoes, being able to put yourself in your business partner's shoes. All of these will be things that I think will work very well for CIOs going into the future. The important thing I think, Alan, is going to be that the space of technology will continually expand. We will not be able to be experts at everything, but we need to be able to understand who are the people who are the right talent that we can bring on to be able to help broadband our approach in supporting our businesses and our functions. And I think that will be very important, identifying talent. Thank you very much, Alan. I hope you have a good afternoon. Once more, that was Vikram Subramanyam, Managing Director in Asia-Pacific, Chief Information Officer for City. You are listening in to Future CIOs, the very best CIOs in Asia in 2020. If you would like to nominate a CIO, please email us at editors at society.com. Thank you.